Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality Podcast. First and foremost, apologies. It is a Sunday evening. I am still depressed off of the Packers' loss today. They lost to one of the worst teams in the NFL, in my opinion, which is the Denver Broncos, which I guess tells me that my Green Bay Packers are probably also one of the worst teams in the NFL. (sighs) This is not a sports podcast, so I'm not going to get into my analysis, but yes, running on fumes off of that, not too thrilled. And apologies for the microphone content. I am not at the place I record this. I am at a remote location, so I am recording with what I have. But anyways, I want to do something a little bit different for this Sunday episode. It's Sunday evening, but I'm going to put out kind of a longer episode where, okay, I was on a run earlier, and I listened to the Young Turks, Shank Uger and Anna Kasparian, do a really good interview. Well, good for them, maybe not for Vivek. But it was a good interview with Vivek Ramaswamy, and it really gets into, I think, why he's toxic as a personality, doesn't know what he's talking about, he dances along political positions, and also just kind of has some dangerous ideas about what the civil service should be. And so I want to play some excerpts from that entire interview, and it'll be paired with my reactions. I think they did a really good job of this. So I recorded this part earlier, so here it is. Let's do it. So I don't usually do this as much on the podcast. As you guys know, I focus on (laughs) a myriad of different things. But today, I did really want to focus on a very telling interview that Vivek Ramaswamy, or Vivek the Fake, gave to the Young Turks, Anna Kasparian, and Cenk Uger. And the reason why I think this was a good interview is because he really shows his true colors. And I want to play... a pretty significant amount of different parts of it just because Vivek says so many things that I think are dangerous, contradictory. Good job at Chank and Anna for putting him into kind of a logical pretzel. But also it shows to me that this is a guy who doesn't stand for anything. He clearly doesn't care about the betterment of the country. And he's willing to just be swarmy, mean, combative, condescending, and just just twist his points to however he wants it. And I I will admit this. I don't actually agree with um, Shank, for example, or Anna on everything. But I kind of like how they run their show, The Young Turks. I really do. Now, Shank is talking about running for president. Not possible, at least as of now, because he's a, he's a naturalized U.S. citizen. I believe he was born in Turkey, thus the name The Young Turks. But I think he's mainly running for president in 2024 to put a mirror up to the Democratic Party and say, you can elect anyone else and they will probably beat Trump, but Biden is not able to do it. That's his argument. Not getting into that today, but anyways, I have to say, because I'm going to play some clips here, and Anna and Vivek get really in each other's faces here. And, you know, Vivek makes it sound like Anna's this, like, like, partisan Democratic hack who's putting him on the spot and not being fair to him. I challenge you guys to go on YouTube and watch Anna Kasparian and Ben Shapiro doing kind of a town hall debate format. These are two people that probably disagree on everything, and they have an amazing like hour-long kind of town hall debate, and they're respectful. They have a nuanced conversation. This was only a year and a half ago, so even during our polarized times, and I'm not a huge Ben Shapiro guy. I'm not a huge Anna Kasparian fan, but... Vivek makes it sound like they're targeting him and just want to talk about Trump derangement syndrome and they want to just be petty with him. I think Vivek's the petty one here who has kind of half-baked views 
Vivek to me seems like that successful entrepreneur who has an ego and wants to get into politics. And he's, you know, he's been around, he's been in the circle of people that understand politics and now he's on his own and he's, he's, he's kind of developed a half-baked opinion. But when you have to get deep into it, he doesn't really stand for much. And I think that's what we see here. So a lot of ranting, but let's get into it. I'm going to play some clips, give you my thoughts. Here we go. So right off the bat, they get into kind of how Vivek has been defending Donald Trump and doesn't think that any of the 91 indictments should be held up. He thinks Trump should be pardoned, blah, blah, blah. But then he also talks about how the rule of law exists and we need to have due process and all this stuff. Like, very complicated. I'm going to play, play this clip. clip. We'll just get into it. And I'll also just add, sorry, I keep interrupting, but there's a continuing trend in this entire interview where they ask him, they're like, bro, like you and Donald Trump are not that different. Like, what is it that you are providing to the people that he doesn't because you can't criticize him, blah, blah, blah. So there's a little bit of that sprinkled throughout this entire interview right. that I'll talk about. Well, I, I wouldn't be running if I didn't think I was the best candidate for the job. So yes, I believe I am the best candidate for U.S. president. I think there are two America first candidates in the race. And I do think it has to be an America first candidate that leads the country forward. However, between it's the, it's the tried and true, I admit, you know, if you want tried and true, you go with Donald Trump. If you want the next generation with fresh legs to lead us forward, you go with me. By the way, I'm going to stop this for a second and just say, like, that's probably the worst argument for himself I've ever heard. He's like, Trump, sorry, Donald Trump did a really good job. He's tried and true. I'm the other guy. I'm younger. I'm more annoying. I don't have quite the, like, celebrity status as him. But if you don't like tried and true, why don't you take a risk and go with me? I think that that's going to be the successful formula that leads us to success in this race. I'm going to follow up on something you said earlier. You said that you would pardon Donald Trump on these unjust uh, charges. So if you pardon him on uh, taking national secrets without permission, not returning them, lying to the FBI, etc., does that mean that Joe Biden is allowed to do the same thing? That he could just take national secrets, show them to anyone he likes? Uh, even after he's president, he could just take the documents, bring them home, show them to anyone he likes? Uh, and maybe other people too, anyone who's got access to national secrets, can they just show them to everyone? Or is it just a special privilege that Donald Trump gets to have because you like him? And I think this is a great question. And this is kind of the beginning of the logical pretzels we're going to get into for most of this. But it is a good question. And let's see how Vivek answers, because I'm not sold, by the way. Well, it is a whether you like the law or not. I believe in this thing called the law. And the <laughs> well, law does give a what's that? I say, I'd love to see it because Donald Trump has broken about a dozen laws and you'd say you'd pardon him on every one of those criminal actions. Well, so, okay, well, I, prove I think it. That, I think, I, By the way, I think this is one of the best interviews I've heard of Vivek. That's why I wanted to break it down a little bit. Part of the reason why is that those laws that, he, that are alleged to be broken, I don't believe have been broken here. If I did believe that and believe it was definitive, then I wouldn't adopt the position that I do. Every case brought against him levels a novel legal theory never before used. So for the particular case that you asked about, and I believe in getting into details. He's wrong, by the way. Um, say what you want about the FICO stuff in, um, in Georgia. Not new, not novel. They've tried other people for this. Handling classified documents. Also, he's not the first guy. Vivek, you're supposed to be detail-oriented. I would recommend doing a little more homework matter. If you're going to convict somebody criminally, yes, the details doggone well matter. So the Presidential Records Act explicitly lays out the criteria 
for what documents a prior president is and is not able to access. If you don't like the law, change the law. But part of the reason is that we already entrust the US president with making all kinds of incredible judgments, whether or not to use nuclear weapons on down. So yes, that same president we do entrust when leaving office with access to those same records. Wrong, wrong. The judges have interpreted it, even in the Clinton sock drawer case, as it related to Bill Clinton, revealing undoubtedly classified information afterwards. A judge explicitly came down on interpreting that statute. So So, I believe this out in detailed articles in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. But why am I bothering talking about it as opposed to legal scholars elsewhere? Let them debate it. That's actually one of the questions I've had throughout all of this is like, bro, there are people that know way more than you that are talking about this. And even Mark Levin, who is insane, MAGA dude said like, all all, all that has to happen is Trump has to go down for one of these. Um, There are people throughout the Trump kind of ecosystem that think he could be screwed as well. Like, come on, man, you're exhausting. Mr. Unite this country. And I do not think it sets a good precedent when the president of the United States and the Justice Department under him uses police force to indict its political opponents in the middle of an election and then issue gag orders to say that that opponent during the presidential yeah, we can have a conversation about gag order, orders. I'm going to I'm going to go on to the next qu- uh, clip here in a second, but what I will say is it's funny he talks about the po- like politicization of all this and using the police, but also Trump lied about the election and his followers also like stormed the Capitol and it led to violence too. So, I don't know. I don't I don't really understand what what Vivek's point is in this, but I think it does point out his stance is kind of like like twist yourself and see how flexible you are to defend the president, appeal to the base, but also try to be different. And I don't think it's working. Um, We'll get into a few more substantive parts of the interview in a minute. First, though, I do want to play. It's a little bit after this first segment I played where I think it shows his kind of arrogance and toxicity and why actually a lot of focus groups show that people find him annoying. He talks over, interrupts um, Kasparian here and then asks, who are you? What's your name? You would think for a guy who's detail-oriented, he would know the name of one of the co-hosts for the show he's going on. Let's give that a listen. There's not as much substance here, but I think this is a good testament to his character. Like, say what you want about Donald Trump. Donald Trump would know the names of the people of the show he's going on. All right, but if if Donald Trump is charged with selling them, are we allowed to try him then? Or do we just have to let him go no matter what he's charged with? We're going to be on for most of an hour, so I think it's just important for you to understand something about me. I care about the details. Facts actually matter. A bullshit. Don't care about. You care about the details random as well. Jousting and uh, you just per- implemented a law having so, to do with political speech of a president and extended yes. it to the actions of the actions. president. If the actions no, of the president are criminal, he should be held name, to the, the same. Excuse Jen. me, I'm still speaking. Name? Can you please let me what's finish my so statement? Yeah. Okay? okay. With the actions of the president happen to be illegal actions, especially in the context of our democratic process, you genuinely believe that that individual should not be held accountable for what he engaged in. You think that so any former sitting president of the United States could attempt to steal elections, can attempt to... By the way, I actually really think she's bringing up a good point here. Is like He's thinking about the ceremonial nature of the, uh, of the presidency, of the role of president. And she's bringing up a more astute point of like, if the actions are like detrimentally illegal and dangerous to the country, how do you go about that? And then he's just interrupting her saying, like, what's your name? You know, just just insane stuff anyway. Sorry. 
implement fake electors and go against the will of the American people. Is that what you're arguing here? And I just want to address you correctly. What's your name? <laughs> I mean, you just came on my show. You don't know my name. My name's Anna. I don't, actually. I thought I was talking okay. to Jenk. What's your name? My name Anna, is Anna. Anna. Anna, good. No, we're going to be chatting for a while. I just wanted to address you conversationally. Should have prepared for the so, interview Anna, ahead of time. <laughs> Should have prepared for the interview ahead of time. So, so, well, Anna, you guys invited me on your show. I'm making some time for you guys. I'm happy to have the open debate. Let's let's get some facts actually straight here. I so thought you were detail-oriented. Making... I don't know. It's just you're the one. Right, you make... <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm not going to go much further with that clip. But, you know, a couple things here. Vivek sounds like an asshole here. First off, he's like, I, I gave you this hour. I came. Basically, he's saying I did a service to the Young Turks for coming on your show. Guys, to be completely honest, he's doing much worse in the polls than he ever has for months now. And it sounds like he kind of needs the Young Turks. Like, he probably wouldn't be doing a Young Turks interview if he was in Donald Trump's position. Even in, I don't want to, dare I say, like, even a DeSantis or Nikki Haley status. But clearly he's not actually doing that well and that's why he's on this show so instead it feels like they're doing a service to him and also it's kind of insane to not know the name of the people you're going on the show for (laughs) i i don't really know even what to say other than that but he just seems like an asshole here like she's bringing up some interesting points about the illegality of trump's actions and he resorts to excuse me what's your name we're gonna be talking for an hour i'd like to at least get that straight and she's like i thought you were facts oriented details oriented guys like Bill Clinton was mainly known for being able to have this just super, super unique ability to remember everyone's name. Vivek seems to have the opposite. He talks so much and goes on to so many shows that he doesn't even know who he's talking to half the time. To me, that's a huge turnoff, especially if you're trying to be the president President of the the United States, States. president of the free world. Moving on, I I know I've kind of hammered this down, but I, I do think it's somewhat important here, actually very important here, because... He's running as a Republican, and I think the question continues for me and a lot of others, especially, I mean, Anna and Chenk here too, is like, why? And he gets, again, very condescending and arrogant when Anna just asks him, like, you're kind of Trump's water boy. Like, what are you doing here? All right. About four months ago, uh, the Daily Beast reported the following. Trump and Ramaswamy had dinner at Trump's New Jersey golf club in the summer of 2021. Are we going to talk about ideas or is this just some sort of like slug I'm trying to understand your motivations for running because it appears that you're not really running against Donald Trump. I was told told that you are a spoiler candidate who does nothing but compliment Trump. Honestly, I think (laughs) first off, like. I guess if you didn't really know much about Ramaswamy and you just saw that clip, you would think, oh, they're just attacking you and they have Trump derangement syndrome, blah, blah, blah. But if you know much about Ramaswamy, he he was outside of the courthouse in Miami after the classified documents stuff, literally calling for Trump to be let out. He said he'll pardon Trump. He said Trump's the best president in his lifetime. It does make you wonder, like, aren't you trying to beat the guy, not just like maybe be a spoiler, like she's saying here. And he says, I thought we were here to talk about policy. But at the same time, like, it's actually kind of important policy to know what this guy stands for if he wants to be president of the United States. And from what I see, he just stands for every MAGA talking point, but doesn't actually have enough of a policy experience to back them up without twisting himself into a logical pretzel. And then he defends Trump while says he's running against Trump. And to me, that's weak. 
provide cover was, for his criminality. Look, That's what guys, it appears to be. Because I, I, I don't really told, understand. You're running Anna, against him. I don't him. really know you, but tell Tank, me I was exactly told, was why and, anyone and would vote for you over Trump when you just present yourself as Trump light and present yourself I, as his water boy who provides cover for okay, any of his you. bad behavior. Thank you Please for your that thoughtful me. analysis there. So so condescending again. I mean, thank you for your thoughtful analysis there. I think it actually is kind of important points, but he's just so condescending anyways. I just wanted to play that part. Right, we'll Not much on. more else there. So we'll now getting into some of his actual policies, Vivek has talked about if you're under 25, I believe it is. Yeah, it's 25. I, I always want to think 21, but he even wants to go above the drinking age for this. But basically, his idea is that younger people don't have enough civics practice. They need to be more civically engaged before they vote. Look, we can have a wider ranging debate about getting the youth and younger generations more involved in civics. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But what he wants to do, A, is just <laughs> against our Constitution. So it'd be pretty hard to do unless you tried to hold a whole convention or, what, a supermajority to get that done. But also the problem here is that a lot of people are bringing up the kind of obvious thing here. The political side of this is... Republicans are not doing well with younger voters. So saying you can't vote until you're 25 would probably help Republicans. And Vivek, for his credit, doesn't really care if it's Republicans or Democrats. He says that in this interview. But it just seems like a really strange idea when our system is built on voting. And he just kind of backs up the idea that a lot of Republicans would be fine with less people voting. And I, I think Chenk here, I'm going to play this part. I think he really brings up the contradictions of this, which I don't think Vivek does a great job of responding to. Now, in terms to of the, uh, you know, you say they need to know civics, but you know that if you knew civics, that this country also has a history of poll taxes, literacy tests, et cetera, to specifically disenfranchise some voters. And yeah. so, and you know that the Republicans are losing under 25-year-old voters in a massive uh you know, way, and that is absolutely clear based on the demographics on the polling information. So it's, it looks really convenient that all of a sudden you don't want as many young voters, et cetera. But then here comes the question. So if we did your literacy test, your civics test, and it turned out that 80% of Republicans don't pass it, but it, but a 60% of Democrats do pass it. So it's a massive, massive disadvantage for Republicans. You just can't get your ignorant young folks, it's a hypothetical, ignorant young folks in, that are Republicans to pass any of these tests. Are you still okay with saying, no, 80% of Republican voters that are young, you can't vote because you're too ignorant? I'm okay with it regardless. And I think that the re I mean, at least it's good he says that, I guess. Then we apply the standard is, think about the logic. The poll taxes, a lot of those were made with the explicit purpose of disenfranchising specific groups of people at a point in our national history when we were coming off of some inequitable treatment historically in the eyes of the law. Thankfully, we've moved up forward this country many decades past where we were even in the civil rights movement. Now today, we do, I, I will remind you, there's a reason why we require every immigrant to this country to know those things before they vote. That's a good thing, by the way. I think that's important. But that same logic, if an immigrant knows, has to know it in order to vote, I don't think it is wrong to say no matter what your skin color or what your political affiliation, you should know the same things about the country at minimum to vote. Okay. And to those for whom you say tests aren't everything, there's a separate point I've built in. Six months of service to the country in a first responder role or a military role. But, the but again, that's not how our system is created. So he's talking about revamping all of it. 
you've got to have some skin in the game or else you really have no way to play in the game. I think English should be the only language. I mean, this is just like him living in a fantasy world because I understand the idea that you want an active and participant population voting, but also the idea of our system is everyone can vote. Also, the English thing, I, I don't really know where that falls into this. Like, it's clear multilingualism is kind of happening everywhere. So I, I don't really understand. Again, this is where he has all these little cookie crumbs of good ideas mixed with trying to appease MAGA, and it gets complicated because the more you ask him questions, he can just keep saying the same thing, but it gets more logically complicated, right? If you don't know that there is no such thing as fake electors, uh, then I guess we would disqualify almost all Republican voters, right? <laughs> and this is the thing where, because Vivek has kind of attached himself to defending the fake elector scheme, which, I don't know, I've, I, I consider myself civically engaged, more or less, and I know that's not a real thing. I don't know, interesting thing he brings up. Look, I think that you can take that civics test, see how you do. I challenge you to do it. My sense is, my guess, you'd probably... This is really good, what, what Cenk says. By the way, Cenk was born in Turkey, I believe. Pretty well. Uh, I already you'd took probably it. Have I'm a different naturalized view. citizen. So, yes, you'd have, I Good. It. So you'd have a, I crushed it. You'd have a different, and I guarantee you so, I would do a much, much better So you better yourself were an immigrant to this country. Great. Yes. My, my sense is that many people find this a little too frightening until they take a look at it. And then you say, hey... Well, I won't go much further, but I find it frightening, and I've also taken a look at it because I don't know how you do this, especially inside of this current Republican Party, which knows it's becoming more and more of the minority. When you're the minority and you know that the younger generations are not voting for your side, I think you're kind of down for limiting enfranchisement. We're seeing that happen in Hungary. We were seeing that happen potentially in Poland. Yeah, it does kind of trouble me. So we'll move on. So the next thing I want to talk about is more into the policies, the politics, Vivek's kind of lodestar here. So I'm going to play a short one where he's asked, what do you think about corruption? Because he talks about how everyone against him, I guess other than Trump, has been bought and paid for. And his answer sounds okay, but then we'll get into when they push back. And I think the contradictions of that, which I think are kind of the contradictions of MAGA Trumpism in general. So when you say bought and paid for, what do you mean by it? Yeah, I mean that these are actually mostly as I've gotten to know them. It's less waffling, but more my view has evolved a little bit. I actually think that most of them, not all of them, but most of them are good people. Wow, crazy. There's some good people in there. Nice, man. But they have been tainted by a broken system. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it's a lie that there's actual limits to what you can give to a political candidate. The myth is you can only give $3,300 per cycle in the primary and in the general election. That's false. The reality is most of the election, look at the primary, look at elections these days, period. They're being run by super PACs. That's where most of the money is being spent. And big donors can give unlimited money to super PACs. And even though those super PACs are basically running the campaigns, that's corrupt. And so, so first off, he's, he's not wrong here. And I think elections specifically, he addresses a real problem. But I, I want to play some stuff next where they talk about it's one thing. And, and this is what I've always thought is like Vivek has a lot of money. Trump had a lot of money. Both of them could run independently because of that wealth. Right. But once Trump got into office, he was still a hostage to a lot of the finance and the big money that's involved in politics. 
totally and I don't know if Vivek either, totally so picks we'll that up that. either. So and we'll I, that. I guess I should also add that, I mean, you just have to look at some of Trump's donors and their influence. I mean, you had Sheldon Adelson, Vegas mogul, former CEO of Las Vegas Sands. He has been an influential donor in the Trump presidency, very, very involved. From what I've understood, Vivek at least has some closer ties to him as well. But then also, you know, they they talk about, like Vivek talks about the education department needs to be defunded or we even need to gut it or transform it or, you know, reform it in different ways. But Betsy DeVos, who was Trump's secretary of education, she was a donor. She was a big money name in Michigan. Not a lot of actual education experience, just a school choice, charter school advocate. I have friends from Michigan who, from their anecdotal experience, talk about how she really gutted and ruined public schools and education in Michigan. Her brother, Eric Prince, Blackwater guy, just a family with a lot of money, big Republican donors. So it's, it's hard to say that even the MAGA people, once they get into power and once the Republican apparatus or the Democratic apparatus, if you're on the other side, once they get involved, it's really hard to say that, oh, you just keep money out. No, you can maybe run without money, but at the end of the day, once you're in office, you're still going to get the same money, you're still going to have the same donors, and you're still going to have the same nominees, appointees in there, much like Trump did. And so I, I just find it a very vapid argument that Vivek has here. Now, I, I want to play a clip in this where I think Chank brings up a good point, because as we know, Vivek is quite isolationist, maybe even more so than Trump, and... Chank brings up some interesting points about the Trump administration and Saudi Arabia and national security, which I think also backfire to Vivek because he is, you know, talking about corruption and money and how all these other people are corrupt. But then again, Trump's the best president of our lifetimes, according to him. Corruption should be taking okay. us into so World if, War III. If we found out that the Saudis uh, decided to buy the PGA and funnel all of the or a lot of the tournaments that coincidentally Donald Trump's golf uh, courses uh, right after he was in charge of policy with Saudi Arabia. Huh, weird. I, I thought Trump was not owned by anybody. Huh. You would be outraged by that. So I don't understand this game of innuendo. I have no idea what you're, what fact. It's a valid question, bro, because you're saying that everyone else is corrupt and the MAGA movement is detached from campaign funding and outside money. It's a valid question, especially considering the guy that you call the greatest president of your lifetime had provable ties with the Saudi regime. You're referring to or not. Okay, here, I'll give you another one. Because, okay, so you're saying hypotheticals. That's actually what's happening in the real world. But I'll give you another one. <laughs> Great point by Cenk. Because I feel like um, Vivek a lot of the time just talks in like these weird like kind of academic hypotheticals or logical twist hypotheticals. And Vivek, I mean, um, Chank is like, no, this is actually happening right now. You said earlier that you're opposed to people taking super PAC money and you think that's corrupting and it makes them circus monkeys. Again, I well, totally I agree with you. Packs, I, I totally yeah. agree with you. Okay. So Sheldon Adelson gave over $100 million to pro-Trump. Oh, I talked about this a little bit ago, huh? Super PACs. And then Donald Trump did all the things that Don Sheldon Adelson asked him to do, including getting rid of corruption charges on him, including uh, fighting against unions, including bringing back money from abroad. Oops. Sheldon Adelson's main money was in China, I, in Macau uh, casinos, where he was able to bring it back at 8%. I be with you. 
This is the system in both political parties that needs to end. Now, what did I say from everybody, even the people? Again, I, I agree with him in a sense, like this is the system. But I think the question is, will he do anything different? And does he actually have a policy plan to do anything different? Because Trump said the same things in 2016 about how the system's broken and he's independently wealthy. But at the end of the day, Trump was again bought and owned by corporate interests. It's just a fact. ...against in this race. It is legal within the bounds of the law. I think we need to change the law so that we have an even-handed system where you don't have a special class of mega donor billionaires influencing what politicians do. Okay, so you are clear. So you're saying That's it does happens. apply to Trump. So Trump it was corrupt to- when he took uh, his super PACs to go over $100 million in both elections said, from Sheldon. Said- Again, another logical pretzel here because he's been defending Trump and saying Trump's done everything right and he's the tried and true, tried and true MAGA guy. <laughs> but then he's also called out some of the things Trump's done, but then he will he defend Trump or not? Let's see. Same, I said the same thing I said at the very beginning. It is legal and that's why we need to change it. We okay, need to change corrupt. the system where you do not want people to effectively have disproportionate influence on their politicians. So I think corrupt. I agree on that. Change the law. I, I, what's the game you're trying to play? No, I don't no, really I'm just it, trying to understand. It is a corrupt system. I've yeah, and Donald Trump participated Super in that corrupt system corrupt and is system. part of that corruption. That's okay. You're I, running against I, I him. Really, There's nothing wrong with that. I, I agree with I, you. I really. <laughs> I love that because if he was a better candidate, he would use this against Trump. But weirdly, he's not because, again, I think he wants to be a cabinet member for the next Trump administration. God help us. We don't get to that. Don't, yeah, the, the level of obsession, I mean, the, the Trump derangement syndrome, it's really sad. He's pulling at 59%, brother. You're you pulling at 7%. <laughs> God, I just can't stand Vivek, man. I just can't stand it. What do you mean you a Trump derangement syndrome? Not only that, look, but, in this country. But Vivek, you're running against, he's the number one this Republican is, look, candidate. You're running against him. What do you mean obsession? It's just befuddling so, that so you I'm refuse not, so, so, to I mean, call we, him we out on anything. How many times has George Soros' son visited Joe Biden in the White House? And how okay, much yeah. Probably too many times for comfort. Who cares? My point is... Oh, just getting into all the talking points. Again, just another, you know, far-right bingo game we're getting into now. No problem with calling that out. My point is, but my point is, it's not useful because you could do this for every politician in America. That's the fact of the matter. And what about you, sir? And so, as I said in the beginning, a lot of these are good people tainted by a broken system. Some of them aren't even good people. They exploited. But most of them, I've learned, are good people tainted by a broken system. Fix the system. I'm not running against any of those candidates. I know you want me to think I'm running against Trump. I'm not running against... Aren't you aren't aren't you running against Trump? Like I, I feel like that's li- literally what you're doing. You're one of the candidates for the Republican nomination. Those candidates, I'm running against that system, and I think that that's something that probably on a day where you're in line with your principles would agree with. Someone needs to run against that system. It is going to take somebody who is willing to. And fortunately, the way that works today is every donor who dances to the tune of their biggest donor, every candidate who dances to the tune of their biggest donor. In my case, that biggest donor is me. And the reason I'm running is it's going to take someone for whom that's true to break that system. And I think anyways, like uh, I don't see any policy ideas here about actually curbing this problem. It's just like, oh, but George Soros meets with the Bidens and it's oh, all the other candidates are corrupt. And, oh, you guys have Trump derangement syndrome. Guys, this is a weak candidate. That's probably 10%. why he's also pulling under Makes 10%. Sense to me.
Also, Makes sense to me. Uh, I don't know if this was in the interview. If it wasn't, maybe, or if it was, maybe I missed it, but I don't think it was. But we also have to talk about Jared Kushner. I mean, Jared Kushner has profited significantly off of the Saudis, his connections with them significantly strong. There's a great book, MBS, that mainly focuses on Mohammed bin Salman, but it also looks into Jared Kushner's connection with him. This is a guy whose family was a wealthy New Jersey real estate investment banking organization. And this is a guy who's married to Trump's daughter, no political experience, and he's one of Trump's top national security advisors, globetrotting, and making deals that are beneficial to himself. And so, again, to me, Vivek's arguments again and again and again and again are empty. They're very empty. Now, before we're finished with this, I know this has gone longer than maybe some of you want. Vivek also wants to basically defund or get rid of the Department of Education, the Department of Justice, and the IRS. And he's asked about that. Again, I've talked about Schedule F a few times. I've talked about the Republicans' 2025 plan. And I think Vivek is, again, a hack and a spoiler. And if not that, then he's someone who is, dare I say, bought and paid for. I have no evidence for that. But he seems like someone who is part of that Schedule F, get rid of the civil service, and bring in a slower bureaucratic system and make everything based on the spoils system again. Which would be kind of ironic if the guy who seems like a spoils candidate is also, you know, running on bringing back a spoils type of system. But let's play a few bits of that and then we'll be done with this. And before I get into his answer about a few of the different departments that are kind of troubling and I think get into the Schedule F stuff... Here's the question Chank proposes, and you can even see that Vivek, I think deep down in him, understands the of contradictions the, here. Uh, United States uh, government at the federal level uh, and at the executive level. So uh, without getting into all of it, let me just name three of them, Department of Education, uh, FBI, and IRS. So to most people, that sounds a little crazy. Are we not going to collect taxes? Are we not going to do law enforcement? So tell us why getting rid of the IRS, as an example, makes any sense at all. By the way, none of this will happen, especially if you're a Republican nominee or potential Republican president, because the House can't even agree on a speaker. Right now, the House is completely shut down. To think that a president could actually completely reform three different apparatuses in our federal government is insane. So this is all just red meat and propaganda to the base, and none of it will work, but what it will do is create more distrust in our institutions. I will stand by that till the end. I think that's just an administrative reorganization. Downsize it, move it to the... Yes, like Steve Bannon said, deconstructing the administrative state. Vivek just says it better. It's Treasury, so it's a revenue collection process. I can tell you about the FBI. I mean, this is the one I get a lot of questions about and I think is the most understandable pushback. Yeah, 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 I'm glad he even says it. I didn't even have to say it. We'll have and I can do the education one too. There's 35,000 employees at the FBI. 20,000 of them are in back office functions in the J. Edgar Hoover building and back offices in this bureau. They can go home and find honest work in the private sector. No, these are, these are civil ser- servants, and this is what always pisses me off. There's a lot of civil servants that are not political that are just doing their job, and he wants to cut them. That is part of Section F. That is part of the Republican 2025 plan, all of this insane bullshit. 
But the 15,000 agents on the front line should be moved to agents like the agencies like the U.S. Marshals or to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network at the U.S. Treasury or the DEA, where they will have far greater specialization and be much more effective than the agents are at the FBI right now in investigating child sex trafficking crimes, which the FBI has not. QAnon, he's, he's, you know, throwing some red meat there. Very good at. The U.S. Marshals has done a better job at specialized white-collar investigations where people at the FBI lack the specialization that people at the U.S. Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network actually have. And this is also a way of addressing what I see as generational corruption in the FBI. The same Bureau of Investigation that used to go after the likes of Martin Luther King Jr., threatening him with suicide over improperly collected tapes, is now going after individuals of a different political persuasion. And it was wrong then as it is wrong now. Um, the FBI is mainly going after people that were charged with insurrection after January 6th for assaulting officers, for example, for obstructing an official procedure involving the vote count. Pretty serious stuff, actually. And, and the thing here, too, is that I've read a lot about the FBI. It's not perfect. Of course, it has a pretty troubled history. Not as much the problem here. The FBI mainly, you have, to, you have to reverse engineer these arguments for a minute and think about why he's saying these. It's because Donald Trump felt threatened by the FBI and he put out that rhetoric and now everyone else is, is going, going down, down that road. All right, I know this has gone long. Last thing I want to say here is I'm going to play about 30, 40 seconds here and give my thoughts, but this is where he really shows what he wants to do. So he talks about how the people he would like to keep in organizations like the DOJ are the people that are democrat democratically or they're appointed by democratically elected officials. He wants to gut the people that are bureaucrats that are there, the deep state in his terms. And I have a lot of problems with this because I don't think you want the internal workers of any government agency basically being replaced with new people after every election. We need continuity. We need stability and I think actually the beauty of our civil services is that we have people inside that don't need to be replaced after every election. A lot of the stuff I studied in grad school was on how the civil service needs to be stable and it actually struggles to do so because of external politicization. And I, I would argue that Vivek actually wants to make this particularly worse. And that's why I'm very opposed to another Trump organization. Well, many reasons, but that's one of them is because I'm very against basically appointing the bureaucracy every four to eight years. I am for the deep state in a sense. And don't take that out. of Don't quote me wrong with that. I am for the state having a bureaucracy. And that is something important because you need people that aren't just supporting the person that's been elected in the most recent election. But hear what Vivek has to say about that because he says exactly the opposite. And you're right. The people who sit on top of those agencies are appointed by a democratically elected U.S. president. 99.999% of those employees do not fit that description. To the contrary, they're protected by, I think, bad policy, but so-called civil service protections that have stopped the U.S. president or the duly elected representatives or even cabinet secretaries from firing those employees. And of course, there's going to be bad apples. I should just make that clear. But at the same time, a lot of people go into the civil service because they want to do things that are right, but they also want protection so they can't be fired at will. And that's what people like Vivek and Trump want to do, 
is be able to fire people at will if they don't agree with what they're doing. Which creates a culture of rot, of laziness, of ineffectiveness, and yes, even of corruption. That sound, that actually sounds like the Trump administration. Laziness, rot, corruption. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. In many of those agencies. And so I have a simple proposition. I think the people who we elect to run the government, they ought to be the ones who actually run the government. And if they're people who disagree with me, if they're the people who I don't vote for, I accept that. Anyways, antithetical to our system. The people that are elected to run the government should not be politically in charge of making sure everyone in the government is part of appointing them. Do you know how long that would take, just pragmatically speaking? That would take forever. But also, you need people that don't care about the politics and are just good at their job. Cybersecurity experts, law enforcement experts, diplomats that know a shit ton about the intricacies of Moldova. Do you get rid of all of them just because they're not part of the party that just won power? Sorry, no. Anyways, we're done. I know that was really long with, with this whole interview segment, but I think the Young Turks did one of the best interviews with him, and I wanted to just bring my reactions to it because, in a sense, I think Vivek is very dangerous, in a sense because he is very smart and very articulate and puts out word salads, but he's also so condescending, doesn't know what he's talking about, and like Nikki Haley said, I think, in the last debate, Every time he talks, I do feel stupider. It feels like he's that kind of inflammatory kid in your politics 101 class in college who wants to argue with the professor about everything. That's how I feel about Vivek, full stop.